the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and now your host for the See You at the Game podcast. With last week's podcast, Brad and I took a look at the roster on offense. This week, we'll turn our attention to the defensive side of the ball. The Buffs have seven returning starters on defense, but those are starters returning from a unit which struggled in 2019. We'll use the pencil depth chart which has been provided by the CU coaching staff as our guide. You won't hear us, for instance, talking about defensive lineman Antonio Alfano. One of the highest-rated CU recruits ever has yet to be medically cleared to play. Alfano has made strides to get on the playing field, including academically, but is not a good bet to see action in 2020. We will also only be able to talk in general terms about the heralded freshman class. There are several freshmen especially in the defensive backfield, who will see playing time this fall. But with closed practices, we are limited in scope to those freshmen who have been discussed to date by the CU coaching staff. Still, with all Pac-12 worthy performers like Nate Landman, Mustafa Johnson, and Terrence Lang, there's plenty for us to discuss. As a reminder, please remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you download your favorites. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all carry the See You at the Game podcast. Please help us as the 2020 season quickly approaches by getting the word out. Your subscription, along with a five-star rating, will help us spread the word here in our first year with the podcast. I hope you'll enjoy our analysis and will post your own comments, either at your podcast site or at the See You at the Game website. Now, let's talk a little football. Okay. It is now time to talk with one Brad Geiger coming to us from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Bradford, how you doing? Doing pretty wonderfully, actually, um, considering everything for 2020. But uh, football approaches, that tends to help the attitude. It finally feels like fall here. Um, so things could be worse. Of course, if you live near Boulder and are afraid of both, not one but two fires, I guess you would probably have a different attitude. Yes, well, I see that there's some snow in the forecast. It's snow that we've had over the weekend, so we skipped right over the fall. Actually, we had a really nice fall, but it is now time for leaves to fall off and, you know, think about doing other things. So um, our fall has fell up here in Montana. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the Colorado defensive lineup. And I guess the best place to start is right up front. Colorado has 
seven returning starters, including all three of the defensive linemen in a 3-4 scheme. That would be senior Mustafa Johnson, nose tackle sophomore Jalen Sammy, and junior defensive end Terrence Lang. Now, of the defensive units, last year the rushing defense for Colorado was at least not awful. Colorado was 61st in the nation in rushing defense last year, which sounds bad until you look at the passing defense, which was 123rd. Total defense, which was 104th, and scoring defense, which is 96th. So if nothing else, Brad, at least we're going to start grading on improvement in terms of production from the Colorado defense. So initial impressions of the defensive line for the University of Colorado. Well, if you're grading on both experience and ability, one would think this would be the strength. Stafford Johnson has all of the skills, you would hope, and hopefully can stay healthy this year. Lots of people got playing time at the defense. An argument can be made that the passing failures were more on the secondary than on the front. So I think there is at least a chance that this team, particularly that this line, particularly on the run, will be relatively solid. Uh, The question is, and has been and probably will always remain, is can we get pressure on the quarterback? Can that come from up front? Do we have to blitz everybody, including three cheerleaders and two guys (laughs) out of the stands to make a quarterback have to throw the ball? Lack of pressure has been a continuing problem, and that has exposed the deeper problems in the secondary. Yeah, well, I think the defensive line, there is actually – and this is a statistic I usually don't track, but it's a, an interesting one. It's the uh, wreaking havoc statistic. Colorado recorded either a tackle for loss, a pass defended, or a forced fumble on just 13.13% of its defensive snaps last season, which was the second lowest havoc rate in the Pac-12 and ranked 117th in the country. Now, when we think about the Colorado defense, we think about Mustafa Johnson, we think about Terrence Lang, we think about them harassing quarterbacks, and we think about them making big defensive plays. And that wasn't necessarily the case as often as we might have thought it happened last year and will certainly need to happen more this year. In the middle, though, I think the real key is probably Jalen Sammy, the nose tackle, that... If he can clog up the middle, if he can create that havoc in the sense of not necessarily getting tackles, not necessarily getting sacks, but holding up two offensive linemen that will free up that blitzing linebacker, that will free up the star backer to make the blitz, or even one of the defensive ends, Lang or Johnson, to make a play, Sammy is the guy that we really need to have make a giant leap forward. He was... Playing in, you know, as a freshman last year, he did well, but can he take that next step? And, and of course, on the defensive line, we've got, then we have a couple of JUCO transfers, Justin Jackson, etc. So experience, but not with us. Yes. Situation. And that's, the JUCOs are always catch as catch can, but they were certainly people that look, certainly are young men that look like they have some talent. Yes. And I did like one line that came from new defensive line coach Chris Wilson. 
He said, I like to be like the Chinese army. I want to be a billion strong. And even though Colorado does have its starting three, it is certainly necessary to have that depth. You know, you want to be rotating defensive linemen, especially when you've got pass-happy offenses, up-tempo offenses. You've got to have a lot of bodies that are weighing those 290, 300 pounds that are able to take, you know, some drives off, some some plays off. Otherwise, you're just going to have very tired, large men come the third and fourth quarter. Well, and, you know, later in the season, it's uh, likely we're going to have some foul weather games. Um, it is nice to continue to bring people in who can continue to put some pressure on the offensive line. Yeah. Well, let's, yeah, hope for some low-scoring games and uh, have some battles in the trenches won by our returning starters. As a side note, I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, last year's defensive line coach, Jimmy Brumbaugh, who was lured away and hired by Tennessee, got fired after four games. So you can read that one of two ways, I guess, you know, the sense that he took off for more money, which you can't blame an assistant coach for wanting more money. And, of course, being in the Pac-12, you're not going to be able to afford the same salaries for assistant coaches that you can in the SEC. But it was interesting that Tennessee was willing to eat, you know, willing to eat his $830,000 know, salary after just four games. And they lost to Tennessee lost to Kentucky 34 to 7, including two pick sixes. So I'm not so sure that you can really blame the defensive line for the troubles at Tennessee. Chris Wilson obviously isn't, you know, not a known quantity for Colorado coming in for Jimmy Brombaugh. But uh, one thing that Brombaugh did do is he basically recruited everyone that you just talked about, all the, you know, all the backups where Brombaugh recruits. I think he recruited six or seven players in the year and a half that he was in Boulder. So just an interesting side note to uh, see how Chris Wilson fares as a new defensive line coach in replacing one Jimmy Brumbaugh, who lasted all of four games at the University of Tennessee. Well, I mean, again, we're just trying. The, the nice part is, is that the defensive coordinator is the same. We have seven returning starters who hopefully know the system. They're at least not as we probably are on the offensive side of the ball, reinventing the wheel. Yes. And I think that, you know, there were some quotes from Tyson Summers, defensive coordinator, to that effect, saying that it was nice. And the players were saying that as well, that having some continuity, it's not so much learning the calls now, it's executing. And hopefully, again, yes, having the second year of the defensive coordinator in a year when not much continuity exists for the University of Colorado football program. Having the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator back is one small light of hope for the Buffs moving forward. Uh, speaking of moving forward, let's talk a little bit about the linebackers. Two of the linebackers are returning starters, Carson Wells on the outside and Nate Landman on the inside. I don't know if there's too much you can't say about Nate Landman and his importance to the University of Colorado defense. He is, you know, the, he is perhaps next to Mustafa Johnson the most talented player on the team. He is probably the best player on the team. He shows everything you want from an inside linebacker. Um, 
he tackles well, he beats well, he pursues well, he hits well, he rushes well. He has at times been kind of a one-man band out there because we lacked people who did those things. Yeah. Landman is is everything you want in a linebacker. He is perhaps slightly less physically talented than some of the studs from the past in terms of Chad Brown or Greg Beekert, but you can't ask for more than what Nate Landman gives you on a game-in, game-out kind of situation. Yes. Uh, an all First-team All-Pac-12 performer last year. Just ridiculous stat. He had 137 tackles last year, 112 unassisted. Second on the team was Davian Taylor, who's now playing in the NFL, and he had 69 tackles. So almost twice as many tackles as the number two tackler on the team. So, yeah, if you're going to have a player that you do not want to see injured, that you do not want to see missing time for, you know, any positive testing on the defensive side of the ball, Mustafa Johnson and Nate Landman are probably 1A and 1B on that list. Now, as to the other linebackers, that's where you start to get a little bit more interesting. Of course, Akil Jones is, you could pretty much call him a returning. He's a senior. He hasn't had as many starts and as much time and as much action as Nate Landman has or Carson Wells has, but he certainly earned the trust of Nate Landman. He thinks that, you know, he's the guy, that he is somebody that, you know, he's worked with. They're seniors. They played together for a long period of time, and they feel that the inside is covered between the two of them. And then the outside, at least in the pencil depth chart, you've got a junior college transfer guy, Thomas, uh, coming in and at least initially earning the start at outside linebacker. So how would you rate the the four? Again, see you playing a three, four most of the time with a star linebacker, star safety that sort of nickel back position also coming into four, but the base defense is a three, four. How would you rate CU's overall play or the hope for overall play at the linebacker position? You know, we don't know Wells. Um, or we do know Carson Wells. We know that he has some talent. Um, I thought there were times last year he got handled by the better offensive lineman. We have Guy Thomas. I know. Again, a guy we don't know, but who has, by all uh, accounts, some talent. The center, the middle linebackers are as good as you want. The inside linebackers are as good as you want. They are big 12 quality players who will do their job most of the time. If the defensive line can keep people off those two, they will make the plays. And that's how the, that's how it's designed, is we try to use the defensive line to hold up the offensive line and let Landman and Jones make the plays. And so hopefully those two will be leading in sacks. It would be nice if they perhaps divided it up slightly more. <laughs> <laughs> or at least had a slightly higher total. We don't care who gets them, just as long as somebody gets them. Because, yeah, for Colorado, it's easy after 11 months to kind of forget some of the holes in the defense and some of the lapses in the defense. And remember Nate Landman flying around and some of the defensive linemen, like you know, Stafford Johnson, Terrence Lyon, making big plays. But there are also a lot of big plays given up. The explosion plays, 
That's something that Tyson Summers says he wants to cut down on. Obviously, nobody wants to be giving up 20-yard passes. Nobody wants to be giving up 20-yard runs. But for Colorado to be competitive, that's got to have to change. And a lot of it's going to have to do with the linebacker play. A lot of the stuff that getting to the second level on the runs, getting across the middle on passes, that's where your linebackers have to be able to make the play. And hopefully... With experience, it's like you were saying, having Guy Thomas as a transfer, we don't know anything about. But again, as you said, he's played, not just for Colorado, but he has played. And you've got two seniors and a junior with a lot of experience playing at Colorado. So the linebacker core should be a strength heading into the uh, abbreviated 2020 campaign. Now, the secondary, on the other hand, does not have a great deal of experience. Again, we're just looking at the pencil depth chart. And the pencil depth chart, in case anybody wants to send me an email and say I can't count, the pencil depth chart has 12 players on it. There's listed in the three linemen, four linebackers, and then we've got five defensive backs, which... Counts the star back, which is the outside linebacker slash safety hybrid. That's likely to be manned by Chris Miller, who is a sophomore who had some moments as a freshman, had a couple of starts, but was injured a great deal. So a question mark there, but lots of hope, lots of potential. At cornerbacks, you got KJ Turio. I got that name wrong. This is one thing about going to a podcast as opposed to a website. With the website, I didn't have to know how to pronounce people's names. I just know how to spell them, so my apologies. Um, Blackman, McKay Black, McKay Blackman is the other cornerback with sophomore Mark Perry and senior Darian Rakestraw as the seniors, uh, as a senior who is, are the two safeties. So looking at the pencil depth chart, and again, there are some freshmen that weren't included in the pencil depth chart that may see action, uh, especially, I would think, in the secondary because it is so young. But as we're sitting here today, not knowing what's going on in practice with closed practices, you've got a senior, a junior, and three sophomores that will be starting in the backfield for the Colorado defense. And again, this is a defense that was, wait for it, 123rd in passing defense last year. So this is a team that did not have a good secondary last year and is, is scarily young along the back. Would that be your impression as well, or am I just uh, the only one that's worried about this? Oh, I think everybody who's watched CU football in the last year or two is scared about this. We give up far too many long passing plays. It feels like no lead, how as rare as they have been, is safe. Because I mean, we play in a league with some incredibly talented wide receivers, very innovative offenses, coaches who know how to put pressure on your weak spots. And the bottom line is the secondary is always that weak spot. With the exception of Arizona, nobody came in here expecting to run the ball against us constantly. And they knew they could throw. And until we prove otherwise, they will come in here and they will throw. I mean, 
aside from rooting for home blizzards, we have to hope the secondary gets better or this defense is still, despite the talent up front, going to give up those 50-yard deep plays where people appear to be running unobstructed through the secondary. And, you know, those are the ones that will break the heart of both a team and a fan base. Yes. So, yes, of course, everybody's worried about this. There is thought there is talent there. There is thought that there is an improvement in the ability level. But we will have to know relatively soon if we can just get some coverage on some people. And getting back to our kind of reoccurring theme that this is year zero for the Carl Durrell era, there's lots of auditioning that's going to be taking place since we're not losing any years of eligibility. You don't have to worry about tearing off red shirts. You can play everybody as often as much as they earn the ability to play. And there are some freshmen that have been getting some press, some notes from the head coach and the position coaches. Nigel Bethel was a sophomore who had apparently at least one interception in the first scrimmage. Um, got some positive feedback. Uh, Christian Gonzalez, Torin Pittman, those are freshmen. So it might be that this is the, for better or worse, the November-December of experimentation because this is a group that's going to be together for perhaps five or six years. And we're not going to lose a lot. Darian Rakestraw is a senior, but everyone else would be back even if Rakestraw decides not to play a second senior year in 2021. So if there can be any sort of growth, any sort of development, this could turn into a 2016 kind of group a couple of years down the road. Now, even the 2016 group, which had all of the players get drafted, ultimately, you know, three in 2016, one in 2017, you know, defensive backs that all got drafted in the NFL, they weren't stars in 2014. And that's kind of what we're at right now with the defensive backfield that Chris Miller could develop into something special. But He's a sophomore who played only a handful of games as a freshman. Will he continue to develop or will someone actually you know, jump over him that's a freshman, that's a true freshman that's going to get a chance to play in 2020 without any risk of losing or burning a red shirt um, just to see who can make the plays. And it might be some growing pains with the defensive backfield, but there is certainly hope springs eternal when it comes to the bodies, you have to be impressed. It's kind of like growing into what we have on the wide receiver side of the ball where there's lots of talent there. Now, whether or not you can find the right mix, you can find the right numbers that will actually win football games. You don't want to have eight decent defensive backs or eight decent wide receivers. You want to have three exceptional wide receivers and four or five exceptional defensive backs. So. The question for 2020 is, can the defensive backfield grow into something like that, and can we get it before Game 7 of the 2020 season? Well, I mean, the short version is we will know soon. Chip Kelly knows everything we just said, and he is coaching for perhaps his contract. And while Chip has not had great success at UCLA, 
there is some understanding he understands offensive football. Yes. So if they come out and we give up four 20-yard-plus plays in the first half of the UCLA game, we will have our answer. And then it will be, you know, who's going to be back there? Who's going to do this? Who is that guy? And how come we've never seen him before? That's, again, that's this year. It was always going to be this year. At least we get to do it without them blowing a year of eligibility. Yeah. And we're trying to be, I got some negative feedback saying that we we're too pe- pessimistic about the offense. And I'm sure we'll probably get some feedback saying we're too pessimistic about the defense. But the reality is, and I'll do those numbers again, 96th in scoring defense, 104th in total defense. No real reason to believe that other than being a year older, that this defense is automatically going to be 50 positions better in terms of national rankings. Well, I guess if you want to try to find the glass half full, we are more talented by almost every measure. We have players who are big 12 or pack 12 quality players in a few positions. We have a coach who understands the pack 12 and can try to adjust the defense to that. So there are, The floor is low for this defense, but it doesn't mean there isn't a chance for them to step up. If if you want to get best-case scenario, the defensive line is able to get pressure. Uh, We can get pressure from the outside. Quarterbacks can't just stand back and pick out our quarterbacks. One or two of the young cornerbacks or safeties figures this out faster than we fear, and we then are able to perhaps keep the scoring down to 21 or 24 rather than 28 or 35. And if we can do that, there's games to be won. That is one advantage to this abbreviated schedule is that we are playing only one team from the Pac-12 North, which I think almost anyone would acknowledge is a tougher division than the South. And as the schedule worked out, we were playing arguably the worst team from the Pac-12 North, or at least from last year. People tend to forget that Stanford finished 4-8 and eight last year, including a loss to Colorado. But if we were playing Oregon, if we were playing Washington, that even playing Cal, that there are some losses there that you just kind of acknowledge right off the kit go. And in the Pac-12 South, Yes, USC notably continues to rise up the polls, moved up to number 24 in the latest poll. I guess if they just don't play at all by March, they will be a number one team. And Oregon's the only other team that's ranked in the Pac-12. So Utah has a lot to replace. Arizona State's kind of a darling of some of the, the pundits. But Arizona and UCLA are as much in trouble, if not worse, off than we are. And there are games to be won. So the opportunity is there for this defense to show its improvement. The opportunities are there for them to say, okay, that November surge that the defense had against Stanford, against Washington, something we're not used to seeing in November from Colorado football teams in the last 15 years, that was not a fluke and that Tyson Summers got his group figured out and 
even with all the Zoom meetings that they've had to endure the last nine months, finally getting out on the field, that having a second year with the same system and most of the same players, there will be market improvement. You know, they always say that the teams, the best improvements from game one to game two. And in that sense, the most improvements you should see from our coordinators should be from year one to year two type of thing. So let's hope that Tyson Summers is the real deal and we'll be able to get this group to play as a unit and bring us measurably different statistics for us to talk about. Yeah, I mean, and again, it is easy, given the lack of success over the last few years, to forget that at the end of last year, we were optimistic. Yeah. We had recruited the right people. We thought we were building the right people. Yes, we've lost people from that coaching staff, but the players are still there. The players they recruited are still there. We have an opportunity to build something this year, and building, I think, has to include some wins, teams learn from winning. And so, and if that happens, if this team is going to win two or three or even four games, this defense has to be measurably better. But that's not an outrageous idea. Well, I think we'll let that be the, the last word, that it's not an outrageous idea for the Colorado defense to actually help the team win some games. So we're going to talk... In our next podcast, we're going to talk about the Pac-12, and we're going to start talking about actual opponents, and we'll see how Colorado measures up against the likes of UCLA and Stanford, two teams that finished 4-8 last year that are also having fan bases that are not exactly thinking about Rose Bowls. So with that, Bradford, thank you, and we will talk again very, very soon. Farewell, my friend, and go Buffs. Thank you for listening. As a program note, we will be posting podcasts weekly during the regular season. Our next podcast, which will be posted on Sunday, November 1st, will include our predictions for the Pac-12, including our favorites to make it to the Pac-12 championship game. We will also post our preview for the UCLA game. For those of you familiar with the Seawith Game website, you know that I provide a preview each week, known as my tips for the game. T is for talent, a look at the opposing roster. I is for intangibles, which team has better momentum, which has more to play for. P is for preparation or schedules, who might have an advantage, be it from scheduling, the weather forecast, or other factors. And S is for statistics, which are the most compelling stats which will play a role in the upcoming game. All of that is topped off with, of course, my prediction for the game. Our format for the podcast won't follow that exact format, but Brad and I will be breaking down the opponent's roster and giving our predictions for the game. As noted, the first regular season podcast will be posted on Sunday, November 1st. After CU's first game, however, podcast will be posted on Wednesdays. So, for a review of the UCLA game and a preview of the Stanford game, look for the CU at the Game podcast on Wednesday, November 11th, and then similar review-slash-previews each Wednesday thereafter. Of course, if you subscribe to the podcast, you'll be alerted as soon as the podcast is posted and you won't have to worry about remembering all these details. And so, until next time, be well, 
stay safe and go buffs thank you for listening to our see you at the game podcast for links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast go to cuatthegame.com that's the letter c the letter u at thegame.com if you have comments or suggestions you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com if you've enjoyed this podcast please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow buff fans until next time when we will again see you at the game <laughs>